excited this morning to have Pastor Harness uh, Sr. with us. And uh, most of you, maybe all of you, uh, need no introduction of Pastor Harness. He has been a landmark uh, in our country and in our uh, community for how many years, preacher? When did you come? 45 years ago. 45 years ago. I was three years old. I'd only been preaching for a year at that time. I, had, uh, I was pretty short in the ministry. But I, the Lord laid in my heart uh, to ask Brother Harness to speak to you this morning. Uh, I love Brother Harness. Uh, he is one of my heroes. And I love men that are faithful. Amen. Men that come Amen. and stay and uh, just serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not to be uh, accoladed, not because it's popular. Uh, but because that's where the Lord called them. And uh, some of you men have been in Canada much, much, much longer than I, and I'm glad we can facilitate this meeting. But uh, honestly, uh, this morning there are many of you here that have been serving uh, decades uh, longer than I've been in ministry. And Brother Harness is such a man, and I appreciate him. I appreciate his uh, integrity, his faithfulness. And I've asked him to come specifically this morning uh, to speak about a subject that I believe he can help us with, uh, especially some of you men that are my age or a little younger, uh, some of you maybe a lot younger than me. Uh, I want us uh, to still be serving in ministry when we're Pastor Harness's age. He's 107. <laughs> and uh, I, want you to, I want you to listen to him. I want you to know this morning that uh, he cares about you. He drove a bus this morning uh, to take kids to school. And you parked your bus here probably, didn't you? Uh, it wasn't easy for him to be here to preach this morning, but he wanted to be. Amen. And uh, I love him, appreciate him. The Harness preached to us this morning. Thank you. Amen. 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 When uh, Penny was, Pastor Roy said, I'd say almost all the kids on my bus attend church here. <laughs> If we got what we deserved, we'd be in hell right now. Amen. And uh, it is uh, something that we need to take as a sacred calling Amen. to be able to preach the gospel and to pastor God's people. Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed 
the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all these men and women that are here today. I thank you, Lord, that in your goodness you have called us into the ministry. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to preach your word faithfully. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. Amen. And Lord, we pray that Jesus Christ would be lifted up. Amen. We pray also that many others would recognize your call upon their lives and answer it willingly. Uh, we pray for laborers. Amen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This morning, as I will be preaching on going beyond duty to desire... I would like to begin by dealing with the topic of the calling of the overseer. Then we'll look at the duties of the overseer and then the motives of the overseer. Now, the pastor is one office, but yet there are four titles that are given to that. I'm sure you're very aware of that. In verse number one, he's called the elder. An elder is one who is mature, experienced, and wise. He's able to be a good example to the believers. And then there is the pastor. Uh, he is the shepherd. He is the one who feeds and leads the flock. Then there's the title bishop. That is relating to the office of the overseer. And then we have the title overseer. This word, overseer and bishop, as you probably know, they're the same word in the Greek Bible. Uh, it just refers to one is the office and the other is the duty that we perform. We oversee. We oversee the spiritual, financial, and physical aspect of the church. We rule over the church as a loving leader. Now let's uh, look first of all at the calling of the overseer. Every man of God who is a pastor, a God-called pastor, has been indeed called by God. Now the call to be an overseer, to be technically correct, is more than just the call to preach. In essence... According to Mark chapter 16, verse 15, every believer has been called to preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. And uh, we all have this responsibility. But not every believer has been called to pastor. Especially women have not been called to pastor. And uh, the overseer or pastor is just one area of ministry. God does call some women also into the ministry. 
Uh, he has called them to be missionaries, called them to be teachers, called them to be pastor's wife. My, one of my daughters, uh, she, when I was talking with her in her youth, she said, I believe God's called me to be a pastor's wife. And I said, praise the Lord for that. That is our desire. And she is married to a pastor now, uh, faithfully serving the Lord in their church. One afternoon, a young man came to me and said, I'm interested in your daughter. And uh, I didn't think very much of him. And so I said, well, she's called to be a pastor's wife. Are you called to be a pastor? He says, no. I says, well, she's not the one for you then. Uh, it's a good way to get rid of undesirables. So God calls women also into various areas of ministry. And so we oversee the church. Now, when we actually talk about the call to preach, we oftentimes use it in reference to what the Bible calls being put into the ministry. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12. This is uh, the Apostle Paul's personal testimony. He says this here. And I thank Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who before was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He said, Christ put me into the ministry. And we ought to see that it's not just the call to preach the gospel, but it's a call to a gospel ministry. The pastor is one aspect of gospel ministry. There's also the evangelist. Uh, then there's the teacher. Most of you men here are pastors. And so I especially want to address the calling of the overseer. The Bible teaches... Interestingly, that the pastor, he is called from his mother's womb. I want to show you some scriptures that would verify that statement. First of all, notice Paul's testimony in the book of Galatians chapter 1, verse number 15. We're going to turn to several scriptures here. Oh, by the way, what time am I to be finished? Okay. No, serious. Uh, we're starting the next session at 11. At 11. Okay. So uh, you're going to have to read 11, fast. 11 p.m. I'm going to have to uh, speak fast. Oftentimes when I try to speak fast, I start mispronouncing my words and mixing up my gerunds and uh, all these other kinds of parts of speech. And so you'll just have to uh, overlook that, please. The book of Galatians, chapter 1. Let's uh, look at Paul's testimony. And in Galatians 1, verses 15 and 16, he says this here. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, 
and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now, we know when Paul got saved, he got saved as a young man on the Damascus road. But he says, I was separated from my mother's womb to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible records many men actually being separated from their mother's womb. John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1, verse number 15, he was filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And God had made him the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Isaiah, he says that he was called from the womb. Look at Isaiah 49, verse number 1. Isaiah 49, verse number 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother, he hath made mention of my name. And then he says, the Lord has made my mouth like a sharp sword. And uh, then in verse 5, and now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant. Amen. To bring Jacob again to him from his mother's womb. Jeremiah had a similar understanding. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1 verse number 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 5. God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then consider Salmon, uh, uh, Samson. Uh, thinking of lunch here. Uh, <laughs> Judges 13, verse number 5. He was to be a Nazarite from his mother's womb. Samuel. He was dedicated to the Lord to be a Nazarite to serve God. And he became a prophet and a judge of Israel from his mother's womb. The Apostle Paul says that we're called to service according to the plan of God, even before the world began. Look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 now, and verse number 9. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1 and uh, verse number 9. Paul says here, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, who hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. God knows everything. Known to God are all his works before the foundation of the world. And God knew that we would be his servants. He ordained this. 
This is not ordained to salvation like the Calvinists would teach, but it's rather ordained to service. And uh, although we're called from our mother's womb, God does not reveal that calling to us until some later point in our life. The Apostle Paul, his call was revealed to him after he got saved. Uh, look at uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse number 15. This is three days after he gets saved. In Acts chapter 9. Verse number 15. But the Lord said unto him, and this is uh, speaking through uh, Ananias. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he, that's Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way that thou camest, and sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so three days after he was saved through Ananias, it is revealed that he is to be a preacher of the gospel. Uh, he is to be a preacher to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and also before kings. It was revealed at that point. Uh, Dr. Tom Malone, uh, he gives his testimony. The day that he got saved at the age of 19 at a revival meeting, that same day as he was there kneeling at the altar, the Lord called him to preach the gospel. The Lord called me and made that known to me when I was 18 years old. I had gotten right with God two weeks earlier at a revival meeting. And as I was reading Romans chapter 10, where it says, How should they hear without a preacher? Blessed are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The Lord used that to call me into the ministry. I answered that call joyfully, willingly. That was in the month of July. September, I enrolled in Bible college. And began to prepare for the ministry. One interesting thing. I think as we listen to the testimonies of those who God has called. That God always calls us in an unprepared state. I don't know of anybody that actually has been called fully prepared. And so the call to the ministry is also a call to prepare. Yes. And uh, we then need to give ourselves diligently to that. As God has called us into the ministry to be an overseer, he has given us qualifications to meet. These qualifications are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and also Titus chapter 1. Uh, there are 17 qualifications given. Before a man can assume the office of the bishop or overseer or pastor, uh, he must meet these qualifications. Not only must he meet these qualifications, but he must continue to maintain these qualifications. If a man fails to maintain these, then it's incumbent upon him to step aside 
and get his life or his family in order that he might resume the ministry that God has called him to. Now, it's interesting. You look at those 17 qualifications in the book of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and almost all of them elsewhere are found that it is the will of God for every believer. Amen. And so the pastor is to be a living example of what a mature, godly Christian ought to be like. And his family is to be a living example of what a good Christian family is like, that he might properly lead the flock of God. The calling of God is a lifetime calling. Amen. Romans 11, verse 29. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. That means God does not change his mind about who he calls and what he does. And we ought to see that we are called for our lifetime. It's not just a job, but it is a ministry. Uh, it is our occupation. It, what, it, it is what occupies our time and our energy. Another interesting thing about the call of the overseer is this. We are made overseers and placed in a particular church by the Holy Ghost. Uh, look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders. And he says in verse 28, Acts 20, 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. We simply get to be part of his church. Now, we can use the term my church in the fact that I get to be part of it, but I don't own it. Christ owns it. He has bought it. But the Holy Ghost takes and puts men as overseers. If you are a pastor of a church, it better be that the Holy Ghost has made you that pastor. Amen. I like what Brother Earl Jessup used to say. I sure miss him. Uh, he would say, the church did not call me to be its pastor. God called me. He made me the overseer. The church simply recognized the call of God. Uh, when they extended the call to me. And he says, the church didn't hire me, and the church can't fire me. Uh, I'm staying until the Lord leads me elsewhere. I want you to note here that he has made you an overseer, not an overdoer. Do you know the difference? An overseer means that you see what is going on, not that you do everything that needs to be done. And I have to confess, I am one that struggles with that, of being an overdoer. I would like to suggest this to you. Eyes on, hands off. Let those who God has brought into your church to be partners with you, let them fulfill the ministry that God would have in that church. 
You might say, as I often would, well, but I can do it better than anybody else. I might be able to. However, if you give a person the right training and the right tools in time, they may be able to do it far better than you. Amen. And so give them the liberty to fulfill their gifts and calling of God. Amen. Be the overseer, not the overdoer. Now, if the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer, the Holy Ghost is the only one that rightfully can unmake us an overseer. That is, if God's called you to a church, you stay there. And you be faithful. And you don't leave until it is God's time to move you somewhere else. Amen. I've heard some preachers say, well, if it's not growing, I'm going. That's the wrong attitude. Amen. Because if the church is not growing, that's especially when they need a good pastor. They need you to stay with them. You know, one of the things in the scripture we see, it is admirable just to hold on. And sometimes as a pastor, you feel that's all I can do. I'm just holding on, waiting for the Lord to come. But don't let go. Don't quit. Be faithful. And then in time, God may lead you to another church. And he leads you from one place to another. About five, six years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, you've got two men in your church, David and Trevor, and they're ready. And I uh, brought this before the church. I said, I believe that God would have them to take my place. And we ordained them, and they became the senior pastor and associate pastor. And uh, I became pastor emeritus. Oftentimes, people don't know what the word emeritus means. I say, well, it's a Latin word that means you have the, response, you have the title without the responsibilities. I can preach, and I don't have to worry about the consequences. It's actually a great place to be. I aspire to that. Yes. And so we are made overseers by the Holy Spirit. We're called into the ministry. So that's the call to the ministry. Now, let's take a few minutes and talk about the duty of the overseer. The overseer, he is given the duty to rule over the church of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 5, the Bible says, if he cannot rule over his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? In Hebrews chapter 13, Three different times it talks about the pastor ruling over the church. Just uh, look there real quickly here. Hebrews chapter 13. We read here in verse number 7, first of all, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. And then consider also verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable unto you. 
And then verse 24 says, salute them that have the rule over you. You rule over the church, not as a lord, not as a tyrant, but as a loving leader, a servant leader. As you rule over the church, you realize that you must give an account for the people that have been entrusted into your care. Oftentimes we take this that we'll give an account at the judgment day. But you know, you may also give an account before the judgment day. I've told some people, I've already told the Lord about you. You've been a troublemaker. You've caused grief. You've blasphemed the name of Jesus Christ. But others, I've said, Lord, that person is such a blessing. They're such an encouragement. They're such a joy to be the pastor. And so many people I've already been given account for. And then at the judgment day, we're going to give further account. And so you give an account of the people that God has placed under your care. In Proverbs 27, 23, the Bible says this, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. As an overseer, you are to be looking over all the facets of the church ministry, all the people. That is, I know the spiritual condition. I know the financial condition. I know the physical condition. I am looking over. Again, I don't do everything, but I'm to see everything. And then as I see something that needs attention, I'm to faithfully deal with that. Our Constitution says that the pastor is the ex-officio member of all committees and groups. That means if I want to attend the Women's Missionary Society meeting, I have that right to. If I want to attend a youth group function, I have that right to. If I feel that I need to check into somebody's financial giving, as a pastor, I have that right to. Now, in 38 years of being pastor, I never once asked for that. But I would maintain that I have that right if I needed to know that about a particular individual, if it had something to do with their spiritual nature. The Bible tells us, as a pastor, as an overseer, we have the duty to not only preach the word, but to rebuke and exhort. Go with me now to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now just look at this last duty here that I want to share with you there this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're told this, preach the word. And we all, of course, know what that is and we enjoy that. I love preaching the word. Uh, some have said, uh, how do you know if you've been called into the ministry? Well, if you could do anything else and be happy, you've not been called. Uh, you love to preach the word of God. And then it says, be instant in season, out of season. And notice this part here. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. A uh, part of 
the job of being the overseer, if we see things that are wrong, we reprove. We point it out lovingly. We also are to exhort, to speak words of encouragement and instruction. And then we're also to rebuke. Now that is sharper words of correction. And all of these things you have to do. Now, to be very honest, I like preaching rather than rebuking. Uh, that's the last thing I like to do. But sometimes it's necessary. Uh, it's necessary as the shepherd to take and deal with some erring sheep. But you always do it in love. You speak the truth in love. You desire the very best for your people. Now then, lastly, let's uh, talk about the motives of the overseer. The motive. What should drive us? What should motivate us? We've been called. We've been given a commission, a duty. And now, what are our motives? Well, the first motive is this. There should be a willing heart. A willing heart. We do it willingly, as verse 2 says, and not by constraint. To be constrained means we are compelled to do it. We're made to do it. We can do things because we want to do it or because we're forced to do it. I pay my taxes by constraint. <laughs> I don't rejoice. I'm not a cheerful giver when it comes to taxes. But uh, the uh, threat of fines and the threat of imprisonment motivates me to pay my taxes. Amen? <laughs> but when it comes to ministry, it should be something that we willingly do. We want to do it. Why? Because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. The motive for doing something willingly, willingly is a loving heart. We love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Note what Paul said about willingly preaching the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. He says this, For though I preached the gospel... I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. If I'm disobedient to this calling, woe is me. Woe is a pronouncement of judgment. And then notice verse 17. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. If we willingly do our job of preaching and overseeing, God will reward us for that. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's a crown laid up for those who faithfully serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we do it unwillingly, God can make us do it, but we don't get the reward. I'll give you an example of that. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. And to preach to them. He was not willing to go. He went in the opposite direction as far and as fast as he could get there. 
God used a well to bring him back. Jonah did preach to the Ninevites, but he still did not do it willingly. And that whole city, that great city, repented in sackcloth and ashes. Got right with God. They had a revival. But you know, Jonah did not get any joy out of that. Now, could you imagine if you preached and you saw a city get right with God? You saw revival break up. You saw thousands and thousands of people getting saved. Wouldn't you rejoice? We rejoice over one soul who gets saved. Could you imagine a whole city getting saved? And yet, he was miserable. He had a dispensation of the gospel committed against him. He did not get the reward of seeing people come to Christ, of the joy of winning souls. And someday, I think, in heaven, the reward that Jonah could have got, he'll not get. Why? Because he did not do it willingly. And so let's serve the Lord willingly. Amen. Not because of duty alone, although duty is a good thing, but because we do it out of a heart of love. Amen. The Bible says that the office of the bishop it should be desired. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It is a good thing to desire this. Now, something that kind of puzzles me is this. Why do different men who've been called into the ministry resist that calling? I've not experienced that myself, but I've read and heard many testimonies of men who have resisted that calling. And a second question is this. Why do some men want to leave the ministry? Some don't want to enter it, and some don't want to stay in it. Why is that? Well, maybe because of fear. They're afraid of what the ministry might entail. Perhaps some resist it, or want to leave it because of selfish plans. Things that they would rather do than things that God would have them to do. Some perhaps don't want to enter it because they're not willing to sacrifice or to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, fear, selfish plans, not willing to sacrifice or suffer are not justifiable reasons. They're actually results of sinful thinking. When the Lord called me into the ministry, I willingly, I jumped at the opportunity. I was glad for it. I wanted to preach. I wanted to serve. I wanted to prepare. I took every opportunity. And when there were no opportunities, I made opportunities. <laughs> And determine I'm going to preach even if I have to pay my own way. I'm not going to depend upon men to provide for me. I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I trust that you have a willing heart. Some men, they do not take the oversight 
of the Church of God faithfully. We have some encouragement, some admonition, even some rebukes given to us in the New Testament to some pastors. Let me uh, share a few verses with you here. Archippus, go to Colossians chapter 4, verse number 17. The book of Colossians chapter 4, verse number 17. We read here, it would appear that uh, maybe Archippus certainly needed to be admonished, but even take it as a word of rebuke. Paul writes, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Archippus, make sure that you are fulfilling the ministry that God has given to you. And so we need to fulfill the ministry. Some are disobedient to the ministry. Paul was not. Note what he says here in, in uh, the book of Acts chapter 26 as he testifies before Agrippa. Acts chapter 26. And uh, verse number 16. Acts 26, 16. This is uh, what the Lord says to Paul on the Damascus road. He says, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things, which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light Amen. and from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Wow. Paul says, God spoke to me and I obeyed him. Amen. I was not disobedient unto that heavenly vision. He was told that he was to be a witness before the Jews, the Gentiles, and before kings, especially to the Gentiles. And so some men who've been called to be pastors have not been obedient and fulfilled their calling. Then there seems to be some that are a little bit laid back or lax or negligent. Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14, he says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. It also seems that maybe Timothy was a bit complacent. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 16, he says, Stir up the gift of God that is in thee. Timothy, you're a little bit too lacks. You're not as fervent as you should be. Now, some guys by their personality, they're not really a go-getter. And then others, you have to hold them back. Uh, they're, uh, they're going, but they're not always going in the right direction. 
And uh, Timothy, you need to stir up this gift. You must not neglect this ministry that you've been given. A man with a willing heart says this, Hear my Lord, send me. Lord, any way that you can use me, I want to be used of you. Amen. Now, that's the first motive, a willing heart. The second motive is this, that you trust in God to provide and you do not love filthy lucre. You do not trust in filthy lucre. Note uh, back in our text there, in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse number 2, it says here, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Filthy lucre. Filthy lucre is the misplaced trust in riches rather than in God. It is the wrong use of money. Money in itself is neutral. But when money is used wrongly or there's wrong motives associated with money, it becomes filthy lucre, becomes mammon, becomes something that we should not desire. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 17, we're told this, that we should trust in God and not in uncertain riches. What does filthy lucre do? What does the wrong trust in money do? Well, it will blind your eyes to the truth and it will cause you to pervert judgment. The sons of Samuel, it says in 1 Samuel uh, chapter, um, let me just give you the reference here. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse number 3. It said that they loved filthy lucre and they took bribes. They perverted judgment. When you love filthy lucre, you trust in the riches. And what it does, it leads you to make wrong judgments. It leads you to show favoritism. It leads you to avoid responsibilities that you know are going to bring unpleasant ends. It also tempts you to say things that will please people rather than to please God. To do things that would offend people. You're more concerned about offending people than offending God. Note uh, here, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse number 11. This is uh, in part of the, actually, the qualifications for a pastor. In the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse number 11. Notice this about filthy lucre. It says, uh, I'll just pick up with uh, verse number 9 to get the context. Hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, or holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. A gainsayer is a person who speaks against the truth. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Money was their motive, not the praise of God. The praise of men is what they wanted to hear, 
not the praise of God. And if you are greedy of filthy lucre, if you love filthy lucre, it will be a misplaced trust. It will be an inordinate affection. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's interesting when Jesus Christ called the disciples, he called them to forsake all and follow him. And I would say this, when God calls us, he usually calls us to forsake all and to follow him. You know, when God called Peter, that day that he called him, he had the most successful fishing day he'd ever had. So much that their nets break. And uh, when God reinstated Peter into the ministry, that was also a very successful day. They had 153 fishes that they caught. And he says, Peter, do you love these more than me? Feed my sheep. Forsake all and follow me. Pastors cannot be greedy of filthy lucre. Now, I think probably almost all of you men who are pastors, you can say that when God called you and when you began the ministry, you began in poverty. You began with hardly anything. I remember I had been called into the ministry. I had been called to go to Canada, and my wife and I were talking about getting married, and uh, we didn't have much money. Matter of fact, when we talked about could we afford to get married, we shared a bowl of soup at the restaurant. <laughs> we could not afford two bowls, <laughs> only one. And we worked out a budget on a dinner napkin. And we said, yes, we can afford to get married. I didn't know all that was involved, actually, in taking care of But I, I knew this, that God would take care of us. He would provide for us. And, you know, I've been preaching for 50 years this year. And I can say this, God has always, always provided for us. Amen. He's always taking care of our needs. We have never gone hungry or naked. We've always had God provide. Now, you may say, well, pastor, you have a nice house and a nice truck. I didn't always have that, though. Uh, we've lived in subsidized housing. And we've lived, or we've driven vehicles that ran on gasoline and prayer. <laughs> if you didn't pray, it wouldn't work. Matter of fact, Vernon, I saw him here. Where's Vernon at? You remember the AMC Pacer we used to have? We nicknamed it the Prayermobile. <laughs> uh, it ran on prayers, more than gasoline. And, uh, but God's always taking care of us. You start out oftentimes in poverty. Why? So that you will learn to trust God. You'll not learn to trust in riches. And you see God provide for you. And then in due time, God can bless you with riches. God can bless you with more. Why? Because he knows it's not going to ruin you. He knows that that's not your motive. And when he blesses you with more wealth... He knows that you're going to use it wisely. Is that going to change your lifestyle? Being a poor preacher, I learned how to pitch, pinch pennies. I used to say I could 
pinch a penny so tight that I'd make the queen turn blue. <laughs> and uh, you just learn how to use money wisely. And so God will always provide for us. Those who are given to follow after false doctrine, it says that they serve their own belly. Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. Paul gave his testimony in the book of Acts, chapter 20, that he sought not after riches. He rather labored with his own hands. He served night and day. He did not make charges to the churches. And so we need to be very careful about finances, that we're trusting in God, not in riches. And so don't preach for filthy lucre. That should not be your motive. You know, I had a pastor friend, I believe he's with the Lord now, Wayne Fuller in Portales, New Mexico. He had left the Southern Baptist Convention. And when he left the Southern Baptist Convention, he walked away from his retirement, his pension. And he lamented me. He says, you know, I'm old. I'm weak. I need some young man to take the church here. But he says, it seems that all these young men these days, they want to know how much is the church paying. When we talk about you know, the church and the opportunities, they say, well, what does it pay? He says, well, it doesn't pay very much. And he says, none of them were interested in taking the church. You need to make a decision. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach it without charge. I'm going to preach it without seeking after money. I'm going to preach it. Because God wants me to preach it. And he'll take care of me. Amen. He'll provide for my needs. Amen. He's never been unfaithful. He cannot be unfaithful. Amen. Joe Boyd used to say this. There's three pitfalls that preachers need to be wary of. Females, finances, and family. All three of them can potentially put you out of the ministry. Uh, there's a fourth thing, though, that I would like to suggest, and that's pride. Yes, sir. If we're lifted with pride, that can also put us out of the ministry. Now, the last motive is this, and my time is up, and that is the motive of a ready mind. We're not to uh, seek after filthy lucre, but have a ready mind. A ready mind is a mind that is prepared. A ready mind means that you have cheerful willingness, briskness. We're to give cheerfully with a ready mind and we're to serve with a ready mind. A ready mind requires thinking and deciding. To have a ready mind, first of all, you must listen to Christ's command. And then you must consider the consequences. And then you must develop a plan of action and then do it. Do you have a ready mind? Now, today, yesterday, and throughout the rest of the conference, you're going to be instructed about the duty and the responsibilities and various things that an overseer must do as he feeds the flock, as he cares for the church of God. You need to have a ready mind. 
You consider what God says, and then you consider the consequences. You think it through. What happens if I do it? What happens if I don't do it? And then you decide, I'm going to do it. And then you develop a plan of action. How can I implement these things into my life and my ministry? And as you do it, the Lord will bless you. Let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for these men and these women here. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd bless them as they serve you. And I pray that, uh, Lord, uh, each and every one of them uh, would be well-pleasing in your sight. I pray that each and every one of them will someday hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Help them to be faithful. And, Lord, help them to serve with joy. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Harness, for what a needful and uh, convicting message. And, well, that was great. We're going to take a five-minute break. And if you want to grab a coffee uh, or you need to relieve yourself for some coffee, uh, feel, feel free to do so.